Welcome to the Pro AV Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Time and time again, AV professionals have told us that one of the biggest challenges in their industry is finding and developing qualified candidates to fill open positions. Here to talk about this issue and what he's doing to counter it is Ernie Beck, Executive Director at Integrate Baltimore. Ernie and I are also going to discuss how Integrate Baltimore came to be, how he made it into the industry himself, and a few ideas for getting students excited about the AV world. How you doing, Ernie? I'm good. How you doing, Elmer? I'm good. I'm good. So I think a good starting place would be to just talk about Integrate Baltimore, right? What's that story? Sure. So um, it, it kind of all started, uh, I'll try and condense it down as much as possible, but it all started about um, four or five years ago. I think it's actually five years at this point, a group of uh, so I'm in the Baltimore, D.C. market myself. Uh, I live in Maryland, right outside of Baltimore. And um, there's a network of, of you know, AV integrators, consultants, manufacturers, reps that, you know, you see from time to time. But uh, there was just some buddies basically who said, look, you know, we should get together more than just once a year at Infocom. And it'd be really nice to to see each other. And and really, it was sort of this this idea of. Um, creating a better sense of fellowship, sort of in the in the Baltimore community, specifically for um, the AV professional AV uh, market. Um, so that's kind of how it started. It started as sort of like a social club where we would get together and you know just get some drinks and and talk about the industry and um, you know sort of take off the gloves, so to speak. Uh, so after a number of years of doing that, uh, as we started doing it more and more, um, I realized there was an opportunity to say, "Hey, look, we're all getting together." you know, we're all gainfully employed or else we wouldn't really be here right now. Um, why don't we start pulling our resources together and do something good for the community? You know, Baltimore is, uh, has no shortage of opportunity to, to help uh, or, or areas that need help or are underserved. So uh, we started with just something simple like raising um, gifts in kind and money for a local charity. Uh, and then that kind of blossomed into raising, you know, toys for an annual Toys for Tots drive during the holidays. Um, so it was like every time we met, we wanted to just find a small way to get to sort of give back. Um, what started happening was is word got out to some students through some of the affiliate groups that we work with that, uh, hey, here's an opportunity to go meet with um, working industry professionals. And so once that started happening, um, we started seeing some people making connections and getting jobs, right? Because um, as many people know in the industry, finding your way into the AV industry, it, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, a labyrinth. Uh, it's a lot about who you know. Um, there's not a lot of uh, on ramps, so to speak. So you know that started. We started seeing something there, right? Here's something really compelling. Here's students coming out, meeting industry professionals, getting net, you know, net, working on their networking skills, uh, and then getting jobs. Um, so what happened is people wanted to start you know, uh, giving back and, or actually, you know, funding or helping to, um, further integrate Baltimore's mission. And at the time we were just a, a social club, there was no formal structure. And so basically in 2017 decided to make it a nonprofit organization. And, um, that way we could, uh, accept donations and, you know, people could use them as a tax write off. And, um, that way we could, you know, kind of help grow the mission a little bit. So that's sort of the, the, the long story short is, you know, social club to social enterprise. Well, that, that's super exciting, right? Because I think one of the most consistent issues I hear about from people in the industry 
is that there's a real problem with trying to develop new talent to fill necessary openings, right? And, and you, you, you know, you brought up students. What, what is Integrate Baltimore offering these students? Is it just like a place for them to, to, you know, be able to find mentorship and with people who are doing what they, you know, ideally want to be doing? Yeah. So, you know, right now, so the, the mentorship is a relative, the mentorship program we're working on, where it's sort of in a pilot stage right now. And, um, it's something that we have decided to more formalize, but, but really before it was just sort of offering uh, networking opportunities to students, um, to meet, you know, and, and mingle with, with industry professionals who've been in the industry from, you know, three years to 23 years or, or, or beyond. Um, you know, I've been in the industry myself going on nearly 10 years and, you know, I, my network of peers is, is, uh, you know, people new to the industry to, you know, manufacturers and consultants who've been in the industry for a long time. So it was really just kind of giving them that exposure, um, to that. So what we're, what we're trying to do now is sort of expand upon that and offer more, um, educational opportunities. So we did an AV makers night a couple months back where we got, I think, close to 80 students from different workforce development programs in the city and, and had a VIXA out and had other industry professionals out and just sort of gave them a, you know, AV industry 101, right? Here, here's what the industry is. Here's what you can do in it. Here's what opportunities are available. So we're, we're trying to, we're trying to create more options to, uh, to, to have that sort of industry exposure to those students. So why do you think this is even an issue, right? Why do you think, is it that students maybe aren't being prepared from like an educational side? Is it that they simply might not know the kind of opportunities the, the industry affords? Why do you think we're having this, uh, you know, lack of, uh, of people being prepared and ready to enter the industry? That's, that's the million dollar question. Um, I think it's, a it's sort of a combination of factors. Um, first, I mean, I, I can. I don't think I speak for myself when I say I didn't. I didn't grow up thinking that there was a, <laughs> that I was going to be an AV professional. I think the sort of mindset of uh, of AV is sort of like the geeky AV club in high school that you know wheels around the projectors and TVs. Um, so I, you know, it's just sort of a perception, right? I think that's the first issue: is that the the perception to the public is that AV, first off, there really is not much of a perception. And second off, if there is, it's, it doesn't really carry, you know, like, oh, this is a really like dynamic and growing industry. It's sort of, you know, sort of like the, the, the nerd side of things. So I think that's the first thing is, is awareness. There's just not a lot of it. So that's something we're trying to do by um, not only integrating students with the professional network, but also uh, integrating the professional network with the larger STEM and technology community here in Baltimore. Um, so meeting with different, you know, having sort of like co-events with, you know, uh, STEM, um, STEM facilities, uh, and just to sort of, again, getting that exposure out there. So I think that's one. Awareness is one. Um, education. Uh, I, there's a lot of formal educational outlets for Technology around cybersecurity, um, information technology, information systems management, uh, graphic design, you know, like pretty much everything that AV touches from architecture to electrical engineering, there's a formal education course for it or educational track for it. But everybody I've worked with and have talked to, just in my personal experience, um, getting 
into the AV industry wasn't a matter of I went to school for this. It was I was a musician or I was in live events or I worked on, you know, in the theater department and they sort of fell backwards into it. And I'm like, oh, hey, here's a, you know, they sort of stumbled into it. Here's a, you know, here's a way I can make a living. And uh, I think that that's improving, but I don't think it's nearly where it needs to be to support, you know, a $183 billion industry. Yeah, I think the, the awareness especially is a huge one. And and I think it is starting to get better as as people do start to understand what it takes to make, you know, whatever their favorite product is. But I, I, I do think uh, it's definitely at the core of the issue. And I'm curious, while we're going down this road, Ernie, how did you get involved in the industry? Like, how did you get to a place where you could even fathom starting a, a nonprofit organization like this? Yeah, so, uh, you know, um, <laughs> I fell into the nonprofit space the same way most people fall into the AV space. So it's just been a, my career has been a, a series of, of <laughs> sort of inadvertent um, uh, stumblings into new things. But no, I, in all seriousness, I, I got started, uh, you know, I have a background in uh, in music and, you know, I was, uh, I played in bands and I was a guitar teacher and, and taught music to students for, you know, so I had this sort of um, uh, musical background and, and ended up going to a school here in the Baltimore area called the Sheffield Institute that has a recording arts program. And through that learned just sort of the basics of, you know, signal flow and sound processing and, you know, everything from what a microphone you know, what a microphone does to how it's processed and how to, you know, how it's routed through speakers. So um, I, I took a program, took a couple programs there and actually a former um, uh, teacher who left Sheffield, went into uh, the systems integration world, uh, re sort of referred me, said, like, hey, look, this company's looking for a technician. You know, what are your thoughts? Um, I got into the, you know, I got the job as a technician. Uh, was not a very good technician. <laughs> um, the you know field work was not really my uh, was not really where my strength was. But um, you know making phone calls and and being sort of a customer facing person is something I had experience in. So I moved into sort of a sales role and system design role. So um, you know I I am I think I'm one of the few exceptions when I can say that I, there was a an educational trade program that I took that got me sort of exposed to somebody who was in the industry. But I'll tell you, when I got out of that program, um, I, I really didn't think I was going to get a job. Like they just did not know what those, what those job potential opportunities were. I had zero, you know, I went to school for this right? and I still had zero idea. And I was just like, well, I'm just going to keep teaching guitar and you know, who knows something might pop up and, and uh, sort of when that technician position opened up, uh, that's when I decided to jump because, you know, here's what I trained for. I can, you know, hopefully use my training for something good. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, and I, you know, every time I talk to someone in this industry, they do have an, a very similar story. Right. And I think, yeah, that is, that, that ties perfectly into what you just stated were some of the obstacles or, or problems with getting people, you know, into the industry today. So Ernie, my last question for you is, you know, I, I want to just look forward a little bit. In your pre-interview survey, you mentioned one thing that you thought um, might burst, a bubble that might burst, and you said it was a traditional control system programming. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I thought that was super interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm probably going to ruffle some feathers here, but, um, you know, that's that's sort of just my, this is sort of my opinion. And uh, 
I forget the context of the question, but so I think it was sort of where is the industry moving and and where do you see on the horizon and and maybe not just control system programming, but let's use that as an example where um, you know the the rapid development of the user interface and the the sort of simplification of that um, from the AV industry, not just the AV industry, but the consumer electronics industries. Um, they're they're moving to towards a much simpler interface, a much more like out of the box. Look at a pro a product like Crestron Mercury, for example, right? That's an out of the box touch panel solution ready to go. Um, a lot of people are using Zoom rooms, right? Zoom rooms have their own UI that's sort of built in. Um, where whereas before to achieve that, you needed to have um, a lot of programming depth and resources. Where that's not necessarily the the game anymore and and um what i you even see is uh you know alexa integration with control systems you see uh voice activated or voice controlled or even no controls no visible ui altogether right it could be something as simple as an occupancy sensor in the room triggering um a set of automation that turns the display on and and sort of pre-routes your wireless byod device right why do i need an interface for that um, so, you know, call it control system programming or call it any of these other sort of like high dollar profit centers for companies. Um, what I see on the horizon is, is, you know, I don't think the traditional control system is going to go away. I mean, you're still going to have sort of a large complex systems that require that, but I think you're going to see, um, as soon as it's just like Zoom, right? As soon and the UC collaboration products, as soon as those products became cost effective and easy to use, the number of companies buying, you know, ten, twenty, thirty, forty thousand um, dollar codec hardware codec systems dropped. And I think that same thing is sort of slated for the control system community. I don't think they're going to go away. I just think the market share of what custom development is 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 going to be sort of or um, replaced with sort of these out of the box pre-programmed UIs from manufacturers. Right. I think it's, it's definitely like, un, uh, I don't want to say undebatable, but I think it, it's very clear that this is a thing that uh, everyone is chasing right now. Right. Because of, of, you know, I mean, you just hear everyone talk about their UI and about how, you know, the, the user experience and everything. So I do think that that's definitely something that, that, um, we could see shifting in the, in the relatively near future. Yeah. And if you think about it, you know, just from my years in the systems integration world, um, the, the user interface and the control systems are a lot of times the challenge for users. They're, they're the barrier to, they're the barrier to access, you know, they're the barrier to, to use. They're the stumbling block. Someone comes in and sees a touch panel and says, I don't want to touch that, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to break the system or last time I used it, it bricked the, the touch panel and, and it had nothing to do with them. It, it had not like the, the system for whatever reason, you know, whether it was some sort of firmware update or a POE connection lost or whatever, right. You know, for some reason, something happened and made them turn off to that idea. Right. So what you have there is a pain point caused by overly complex, you know, UIs and, 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 control design. Um, so I think that there's a pain point there. It's the same pain point. It's a very similar pain point to what people had when they were paying 20, 30, $40,000 for 
hardware codecs and not getting use out of them. They weren't getting the return on investment. So they're going to look at these, you know, expensive control systems and say, do I really need to spend that much? And, and then, you know, let's say they have a problem getting the code from the, from their vendor, right? The UIs could work just fine, but if, if they were to make an update and their vendor is, is holding onto that code, that's going to make them, I think, have a less of an appetite to want to invest lots of money into proprietary code moving forward. Definitely, definitely. Well, Ernie, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I appreciate your time and uh, just thank you for being so candid with me. Absolutely. Thank you, Elmer. It was, uh, it was a pleasure to be on. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to articles, podcasts, and video content for your favorite industries. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Have a good day.